Hey guys, welcome to Freedom Ministries, and uh, we're going to do it from my house tonight. We're at a very cold, get my phone here a minute in case somebody's texting me here, make sure everything's working right, a very cold, snowy uh, um, Colorado day, and Jeremiah <laughs> said, I brought a bottle of wine, can you hand me the opener there? I wish I could, so anyway, uh, I just want to... Uh, just share with you tonight. Barb will probably be on here in a little bit as well. And so um, I'm going to do part two of the beautiful gospel of the early church. And and uh, uh, But just want to, first of all, say thank you for all of you guys that are supporting the ministry. I've been hearing from people all over the United States, from Trinidad, from the UK this week. Um, uh, and I told Jeff Forrest, who posts all these for us, I don't know what you're doing, but we're getting responses um, magnified from all over the world and it's making a difference and so all you guys that support the ministry we appreciate that and uh, you can certainly give online if you want to uh, tonight as well so anyway let's uh, let's get into this and the beautiful gospel of the early church part two and uh, one thing that you realize guys is what Barb and I were talking about is um, she's looking at me she's flickering her eyes at me distracting me and so uh, she should stop doing that <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, the, one of the, the New Covenant promises, as we've talked about, about hearing God was um, the, the prophecy was He's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh, from the youngest to the greatest, meaning that everybody, that's uh, because in the Old Covenant, the only people who He poured out His Spirit on were the prophets, kings, and priests. And so there was no, going to be nobody special. Everybody was special in the New Covenant. And all would know Him from the least to the greatest, and you'd have no need of a rabbi, meaning that everybody's going to know inherently in their in their knower of knowers, in their real man, in their spirit man, or in their heart, whatever you feel comfortable calling that place, that uh, that's God, and you all know Him, and everybody inherently knows Him. In fact, uh, uh, it's been fun, you know, when I've been counseling some people, and uh, if they say they're agnostic or atheist or struggling, say, so, you know, I, I just don't believe in a God, and, and the truth is, all know there's a God, all know Him, even the ones that say there's not. They've just rejected the God that uh, has been presented to them. But if you ask them, if you could believe in a God, who would that? What would it look like? And what's really fascinating is they all—they um, describe Jesus perfectly, even without saying it. You know, my response has been to them: "You know what? You're hearing God clearly because that's God, who who God truly is." And so, uh, one of the things that that I think um, after watching Dr. Bruce Wachope, some of you guys may have. Uh, Watched him a little bit. He's a great friend of Dr. Baxter Kruger and and uh, runs Perichoresis Australia. Um, he says this. He says, yeah, I, everything I'm going to say, you inherently know that what I'm saying isn't going to be um, strange to you. Your heart already knows it. Your head may go, that's not what I've been taught uh, my whole life, but you're, something rings true in your heart. And that's what I'm sharing. And the early church fathers um, taught all this. So this isn't uh, this isn't a strange doctrine. We're just going back to the basics, going back to the roots of Christianity and what they taught. And what I'm finding, and I hope you find as well, if you go search this out, honestly, is um, uh, it's just a beautiful gospel, which is why it's titled that. And it's so much better. It's so more inclusive um, that, that uh, good versus evil, good actually does win. Uh, you know, every movie in Hollywood, everything is always this good versus evil where they're hearing God, that God's bubbling up from the inside of them. And so they write all these movies. And in uh, the end, typically good overcomes evil, but somehow our God can't do that. And so uh, that's not the truth. Obviously, his love always wins and 
he gets the last say. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And it's actually a really good gospel where, in the end, he reconciles all things, and he's given us that gospel of reconciliation. The good news of reconciliation is what Paul tells us in Romans. And so I'm just going to, a uh, quick little review here from, from uh, last week. And um, If you still have a view of God that puts fear in you, you won't have power, love, and a sound mind. And Scripture says that. Paul says that repeatedly. He says, I didn't give you a spirit of fear, uh, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And, he's, and he came to introduce the 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 spirit of Abba Father is what it says, not fear. You know, and one John says, if you still have fear, uh, you haven't complete in love. And so he's perfect in love. And so what I've found is if we can get the uh, uh, the angry, fiery, um, judgmental God out of people, where somehow they have to fear uh, a judgmental God that's, that would probably send them to eternal torture their whole life, they never can truly trust him. Because faith is all about persuasion and trust in the character of our Father and what we can trust in Him. It's not us building up something by praying in tongues long enough or reading the Bible enough and, you know, build your faith. That's what I grew up with a lot. And faith is persuasion that He is who He says He is and He's good and we can trust Him all the time. That all things work together for our good. Even when we can't figure it out, it has to work out for good because uh, He orchestrates it. It's interesting. He gives us free will, but uh, uh, in His wisdom... He orchestrates his free will to become our will, which is really fascinating. So uh, he's a good God and he's a good father. And so uh, also had a lot of questions this week as well about Old Testament scriptures about death. And man, it seems like God's killing a lot of people and destroyed people with the flood of Noah, etc. And just remember that uh, uh, those aren't the real things. In Hebrews, it says, you know what? The law, the, the Psalms and the prophets were types and shadows of good things to come. That means they weren't the real thing, guys. You know, everywhere we see death in one man from the first Adam, guess what you can find in the new Adam, Jesus Christ, or the last Adam, is life. And so when you see 3,000 people die, for instance, when the law was given, when the Spirit was given, 3,000 people lived. And so the truth is God's never killed anybody. Uh, the wrath of God really is He allows us to interpret Him through our eyes. And when we turn away from Him, He gives us um, enough free will that He says, I'm going to let you go this way. And uh, it's, it's man's wrath that ultimately kills everyone that, that uh, has the whole foundation of the world out of place. It's not God. God's loving, unconditionally loving, radically forgiving. Um, he is life. He's the resurrection. He cannot produce anything evil or cannot produce death. And so um, just remember that is uh, he's not doing any of that. Those are types and shadows of good things to come. And a lot of times I think of the Old Testament writer's perception of how they perceive God. That they think God's killing all these people or judging all these people. Nothing could be the truth. Because even in judgment, when there was death, where the ultimate judgment was uh, Jesus submitted to us completely, we allowed, uh, he allowed man, you and I, our wrath, our works of the flesh, because of the wrong belief that we are separated from God, to ultimately kill him. And yet his response was, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they do. And so, you know, when, when everyone meets the judgment seat of Christ, ultimately, who do you think they're going to meet? They're going to meet that same Jesus that uh, even when the woman caught in the act of adultery, when she met him, uh, she was cowering. There was a crisis moment is what it says, and that's that word often translated judgment as the Greek word crisis. There was a crisis because she was going to meet this God who she thought was going to judge her and was fearful, yet she found mercy and grace in Jesus Christ. And that's, who the, that's what the judgment seat is. It's not, a, it's not a law court where we sometimes see that. The courts of heaven, I heard Barbara was just telling me, I go, that's just nonsense. It's from this Roman Greek influence or Roman influence that we think it's a court system and 
If it is, the court system was rigged because it says the Father judges no one. He's given all judgment to the Son. And then the Son, Jesus Christ, says, I don't judge anybody. I came to give them life and life more abundantly. So uh, the judgment seat of Christ is you're going to meet a person. You're going to meet Jesus Christ. And it says we can come boldly to Him and we're going to find mercy and grace in time of need. And so we have to realize that anytime uh, Scripture doesn't look right, where it doesn't look like the unconditional love of God, where it looks like uh, this doesn't sound like a loving father. How could a loving father torture somebody forever that that's not the true interpretation? The true interpretation, interpretation of all Scripture is Christ. And every Scripture has to bow to Christ. And so uh, that's a good intro, I think, where, you're, where you realize you're coming from. And, and um, uh, uh, just to let you guys know, I, I'm not doing this to stir things up. Uh, I don't want to argue. I hate it, as Barb knows. It's like... Uh, you know, apologetics and things like that, it's crazy to me because it's all about the heart. So somebody may, may, you might have the greatest argument in the world, but if it doesn't ring true in their heart, if their heart doesn't change, nothing changed. And so you may have won an argument and be lost a friend. The only reason I'm covering a lot of this is because I've seen the powerful effects when people truly get fear out of their lives, what starts to happen. They start to finally feel free. They start to finally experience that, uh, that rivers of living water that flow out of the heart that was promised when we receive the spirit of, of Father. And so when people truly get this, when you get rid of uh, the fearful, judgmental, uh, I might spend my eternity to hell, even though Scripture says, I see dimly as through a veil, but when I die, then I'm going to see Him face to face. God would never judge any, anybody eternally um, when we can't even see Him clearly, is what Scripture says. It says none of us can. We, none of us know the Father except Jesus. And so He came to introduce us into that life and relationship. And so just know that uh, I don't have any worries about any one of you. You're going to go meet Jesus Christ, and you're going to receive life and life more abundantly. And those of you start to receive it on this side of, of death, of, of this uh, first Adam, this physical body, um, you can start to experience the kingdom here, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. You can start experiencing all these life things uh, when your heart's right, when you truly believe that He's good and He's for you and He'll never be against you. And uh, every promise is yes, any man in Jesus Christ. And He's your marriage partner, which is pretty amazing. And so, anyway, let's, uh, let's get into this a little bit here. So, a uh, little review again. The early church did not teach, teach separation from God. Um, the idea of separation came from Greek philosophy. And so... Uh, um, really, as we're, we're looking at, uh, you can go check a lot of this out. St. Augustine was a, a student of Plato and Aristotle. And the Greeks taught that, and really every mythology, everybody but Jesus Christ, is God scary. He's over on a mountain or separated from us and too holy or too pure for him to look at us. And we're over here, created matter that's evil, dirty, and bad. And, uh, um, uh, and it's Somehow we've got to work our way up to get back to God. And that's where religion comes in, is we must do the works. And so, um, uh, can you just answer him, text him that it's online? Um, and so, this is a good message to you guys. I'm just getting some texts, hey, there's no church service. People are, start, are showing up for church. So, um, I, I put messages out to the devotional group, to the church group. But if you didn't get it, that means you're not on our distro list. And so, if you want to be on our distro list, um, just email your email to info at freedomministries.org. Info at freedomministries.org. So uh, that way they know that we're streaming live tonight. But uh, anyway, so uh, God and the early church fathers, they taught inclusiveness. In fact, uh, the Jewish mind never believed that God was separated from them. In fact, that's the ultimate goal is uh, God tabernacling with men. That's what all the feasts are about. And by the end, you get 
to Revelation, it says, and God tabernacled with men. Their, their view was always God's with them. And, uh, but Greek thought started to penetrate uh, really Western Christianity, where we, most of us were taught our Western roots, um, around 400 A.D. And then you see that uh, eternal torture of hell was never an accepted doctrine until after 500 A.D. And uh, then with the Dark Ages, it became kind of orthodox or standard teaching in the European church, the Western church, or the Latin church, that uh, uh, when the Bibles were actually taken away and became a, a way to control people. Because if, uh, if you could have the, the church, uh, the official church of the, uh, of the country, uh, that became the standard. And that was a way to control people, to put fear in their life. And, and uh, you know, if, I, if you were excommunicated by the church, your life was kind of ruined. And, and uh, what a way to keep the money flowing and uh, to control people. If you could say, hey, you know what, if you don't do these things right on this side of heaven then you might spend your eternity in uh, a place of torture. And, you know, we can't even do that. You know, our own legal systems uh, teach against cruel and unusual punishment. And uh, even the old law, the, the law, legal system, the whole idea of the law, where it says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, meant that the punishment couldn't outweigh uh, uh, the, the sin or the wrongdoing to others. But once that was accomplished, an eye for an eye, it was designed to make the person who was wronged um, to a full position. But then once that payment was done, it was to bring them back into the church, the person who had committed the, the sin or the, the wronging, to uh, restore them back to the church body. That was the whole idea. And so even, uh, even how the law, which caused death, God would never do that. It's, it's, you know, if, you, if you somehow didn't accept him on this side of, of uh, your earthly life, that he would torture you forever has just never been in him. It's never been in his nature. And it was really a church, a church teaching that came um, incorrectly because of Greek thought that somehow we're separated from God. And, and some of you guys want a good book. This is a, uh, these are, she does a really good job. I'm trying to do this. It's backwards. It's called Raising Hell by Julie Forwerda. Uh, and the Christianity's most controversial doctrine put under fire. She does a really great job. A lot of sourcing um, all of the, uh, uh, references and sources, and so go go read it for yourself. It's really great. But just this whole idea that uh, for the first three four hundred years, all the all the councils with all the the known bishops in the world, um, they never taught separation. For the first three four hundred years, they taught everybody was included in Christ. And so I just want to read one thing from Augustine. This is pretty interesting. And uh, uh, it says, by far the main person responsible for making hell eternal in Western Church was Saint Augustine. Augustine was made Bishop of Hippo in North Africa. He did not know Greek. He tried to study it, but stated that he hated it. Sadly, it is his misunderstanding of Greek that cemented the concept of eternal hell in the Western Church. Augustine not only said that hell was eternal for the wicked, but for anyone who wasn't a Christian. So complete was his concept of God's exclusion of non-Christians that he considered unbaptized babies as damned. See, none of us can do that, and that's why we've had to come up with uh, the strange theologies that are nowhere in Scripture that says... You know the age of um, what, what do they say? The age of uh, what, are they, what age of accountability? And so it's kind of funny though. But what what is that? You know, Steve Melton and I were laughing. I go, well, shoot, let's just make it one twenty if it's arbitrary, um, because we all see dimly. So who knows? Or somebody who's handicapped. When do they? When's their uh, age of accountability? And none of it fits, guys. And when you really realize this inclusion that we're all in Christ, um, whether uh, the reason we share the gospel is because the world doesn't know it. They're in darkness, and so. Um, but this is interesting. So when these babies died, Augustine softened slightly to declare that they would be sent to the upper level of hell. He, Augustine was also the inventor of the concept of hell light. 
um, known as purgatory, which he developed to accommodate the universal verses in the Bible. And so, anyway, that's just, uh, if you want great sourcing, and uh, that's kind of great from there. And so, uh, let's see. Yeah, so hell, as we know it, was never that. It was always, for the first three, four hundred years, guys, it was always restorative. It was always purifying um, with the end goal that love would never fail and ultimately win over everyone and burn up the, the chaff, the fleshy parts of us, so that all we'd be left with was perfect love in Jesus Christ. And we see that in the, the woman caught in the act of adultery where all the old had to go, signifying all the old covenant had to go, and all that was left was the woman caught in the act of adultery and Jesus Christ with no accusers. And, uh, and then he says, go and sin no more, which we talked about is, is it doesn't mean never, never uh, have bad behavior for the rest of your life because all of us are included. So that, that wouldn't be a very good uh, covenant. That truly meant don't have a distorted view who I am. Don't ever think I'm going to judge you. I'm there for you. I love you unconditionally. I radically forgive you. And uh, I never changed my favor, my blessing based on your behavior, the good, bad tree, my blessings based on the tree of life, Jesus Christ, and you were included in that covenant, which is just beautiful. And so if you want to see the end, the eschatology, which means study of last things, their last, the Nicene Creed is a perfect example. Here's what they believed. The living and the dead were going to be judged. And that word judge, again, means to set, set straight things right, right between two parties. And so guess what? You know, even when people have fear, etc., who are they going to meet? They're going to meet Jesus Christ, which is... Uh, a powerful, powerful concept when you get this. And so let's talk about this. As, um, the early church fathers taught that God dwells in and through all creation at all times. And uh, that once you really grasp this, guys, now all the scriptures start to fit together. You don't have to invent strange doctrines. You don't have to, uh, uh, why does this not work? And um, one thing you need to realize, guys, the Bible is very metaphorical. It's stories. It's, it's uh, oftentimes the... Uh, the pictures, the stories, the imagery is exactly that. It's imagery. It's not, uh, um, you know, when, when ultimately death and hell are thrown into the lake of purification, that lake of fire, you know, we, we look at all this and, and uh, always think, oh, that's got to be, that's got to be literal. Well, it's not literal. It's, it's uh, if you go read Revelation, John himself tells us this is a book of signs and it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ says the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is what? Death. The two things that were warned about in the very beginning of Scripture is the eat from this tree, it's going to produce death. Eat from the, the tree of life, it's going to produce life. And so the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death. Jesus wins, and unconditional love wins at the end. And so God dwells in and through all creation at all times. Uh, so let's just read some of these, John 14, 20. And Jesus is telling them, when I send my spirit to you, then you're going to get all this that I'm telling you right now. You can't understand it because you're still in darkness. And so it says, at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's inclusiveness, guys. What, and uh, uh, first time I heard Dr. Kruger say this, my heart just jumped. I go, that's got to be the truth. Because all of us, our whole life, we're taught, um, especially in the West, that all of our life is really evangelizing, trying to get people in. And the truth is, they've never been separated. He's in and through and withholds all things by his power. There's not anything created that's not outside of him. And so he's in and through every atom of the universe. So the gospel is not that we get people into Christ. That's Greek thought where we're separated and he's too holy to look at us. And so we need to repent, forgive, you know, be baptized, do all these things to somehow get in. And, and uh, I, I just did a, a search. I think there's 30,000 plus Christian denominations all trying to prove the right way to get in 
If you're not baptized, you're not saved. If you don't pray in tongues, you're not saved. All these crazy doctrines that, that create disunity, and they all come from that pagan thought that somehow a created being has life outside the creator and life giver. There's no way that every atom has to be inside Christ because he's the only life there is. And so Ephesians 4.9 says, Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended in the lower parts of the earth? And that's where people believe the abyss or Sheol or death or hell in English is translated, he went. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill, how many things? All things. And so what Paul's writing again is he's in and through all things. He, he's in heaven, he's in hell, he's going to consume all things, and he's in all things, and he restores all things, which is just fascinating. So Romans eleven thirty six: For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And then if we, uh, we cover again Colossians, that's probably the, the greatest um, definition or what we covered last week of the clearest scriptures that clearly tell us that God's in and through all things. And so Colossians 1.13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And uh, here's what you need to understand, guys. The devil, the enemy, the accuser never had any power. All he could do with with the uh, the original man, Adam and Eve, was deceived them, which is just darkness. They can't see something. There's no light, is what it said. And so um, it says, He brought us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of His Son that He loves, in whom, in Him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, the supremacy of the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And this is kind of interesting, too, where um, with Greek thought, where God could be separate from us, that, uh, you know, he's so holy, he can't look at sin, so he's in heaven somewhere, and we're earthly, created down here full of um, sin and ugliness and whatever concept you have of that. That's where we get the idea of penal substitution, too, which I was taught, and I think uh, the majority of the, 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 the large pastors, even today, teach that somehow Jesus was separate from the Father, and when he was on the cross, because they, they, they don't understand when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22. But if you read the rest of Psalm 22, by the end it says, I never forsake you. In fact, I was with you. And the only way you can have God pour out his wrath, his penalty, his... Uh, it's really interesting that he had to pour out his wrath and all punishment for sin when perfect love never keeps any record of wrong. And so if he never kept any record of wrong, he's got nothing to pour out uh, for our wrongdoing, which is interesting. And so... The scriptures, that's why we twist all these scriptures together, because somehow we believe this lie of separation, that we've been separated from him. And uh, so that was taught that Jesus was separate somehow of the Father, from, from the Father, and so God poured out his wrath and penalty and judgment on this separate thing. Yet scripture clearly tells us, when you get this idea of inclusion, that he's through and in and everything, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, yet unique characters says God was in Christ reconciling the cosmos or the world creation to itself is what it says. And so uh, you know who was hanging on that cross? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you keep reading Psalm 22, it says, I heard your cry when you were on the cross. I never left you. In fact, even when you went down to Sheol, he was with you. And then if you read Psalm 23, it's, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And then Psalm 24 is the ascension verse where it says, you know what, who can assemble? ascend the, the mountain of the Lord, he who has clean hands, it was Christ. And if he's in and through all things, if he's in and through every atom of the universe, think about this. So the creator and life itself, 
dies. And it says he goes down to Sheol or hell. He preaches to the dead in hell. He comes out with the keys to hell is what it says and death. And uh, it says he led captivity captive like a train. He went down into Sheol where the dead were and he brought them out because he was the firstborn, the first fruits, and he was victorious over death and hell. And, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful gospel where, you know what, our death now is entrance into life, which is awesome. And so you don't ever have to fear death even, guys. It's a fascinating thing because all it is is your entrance into perfect life where there's no more tears, there's, there's no death, there's nothing left but perfect love. And so um, God was in Christ reconciling the entire creation to himself is what Scripture says. And when you understand that, when, when we're in him at his death, that's what Paul gets so excited about in the New Covenant. He said, I'm just so excited about one thing that we concluded that when one died, Jesus Christ, all died. Well, how was that? Because we were all in him and all creation was in him. And then on the third day, he rose again. He was the firstborn and the firstborn has enough inheritance for the entire family. Well, guess when we were born again, guys, when he died, we died. When he rose and was born of the spirit, guess when the entire creation was born again? When Jesus rose, he rose then as when we were created and then that's what he's telling Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he says, how can I do that? Can I jump back into my mother's womb? And he's like, no, no, you don't understand this. With man, this is impossible. But I've got a plan that you won't understand. You'll realize when I pour out my spirit that all were in me. And when I rose, I rose and rebirthed humanity. And I'm the firstborn. So when you die, when this physical body dies, he's the first. He's the prototype. He's the, uh, the last Adam. Guess what? We're going to get our glorified body just like him and not, uh, we won't suffer uh, hell, and he won't allow our soul to be there, is really what it says. And so, verse 16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is the inclusion that he's talking about. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. And he is the head of the body, the church, it's you and I, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So think about that, guys. Uh, the, the concept that somehow we could accept Christ into our heart and that, that made us born again. Well, he's holding our heart together. So he's holding our heart together, yet somehow we can, we can get the Creator to come into created. It just doesn't work. So he's holding our heart together. Um, when you finally see the truth that you've been completely, radically forgiven, and you, he's for you. All he's going to do is bless you. And every promise is yes and amen in this last Adam. Now you can start to experience life because fear is completely gone. All torment is gone. And so I think you're starting to get this when you follow these church fathers. That's why they were so excited about this radically good news for the entire world. And so do we evangelize? Yes, we evangelize more than ever. In fact, it becomes more powerful when you get forgiveness of sins completely out and go, you know what, you're going to meet Christ because that's who you're going to meet at the judgment seat. And so if we continue in these, uh, uh, these verses, verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And different scriptures say that Jesus, uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were in one. He's saying it again here that when you saw Jesus, you saw the entire Trinity. If you want to know exact what God is like, it's exactly like Jesus. The Father and Jesus aren't separate. We got that idea because of separation and Greek thought. They're one. And Jesus was the perfect scripture and uh, all Scripture has to bow to Him. So God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, uh, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. 
Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and had a conscience. We've never been separated from God. That was the original uh, lie that the enemy got mankind to, to, uh, to receive. And you know what? The church, unfortunately, has perpetuated that lie for about 2,000 years now. The first three, 400 years, they never taught that we were separate from God. It was, uh, we were showing light that this has all been true from the foundation of the world. In fact, the Eastern Church, um, they've never taught separation from God. They've never taught eternal hell. Hell, like I said, was always purification. It was always restorative. It was always reconciling. So finally, the world could see that God was a good God and for them. So it says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, not, not in reality, because of your evil behavior. They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they thought, you know what, I'm, I'm doing bad things, I'm sinning, so God must be angry with me. That's, the, that's that evil conscience that where we're feeding on the tree of the knowledge of good, good and bad or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, Hebrews talks about once you realize what truly happened, when he shed his own blood on that, that mercy seat, every sin has been gone once and forever. And it says you should have no more consciousness of ever falling short in God's eyes. Now, do we fall short? Yeah, daily. That's the, the amazing power of the gospel that we finally understand that he withholds no blessing. He doesn't stop his, his blessing, his favor. When we fall short, he doesn't stop. He's still faithful. He remains faithful. And that's the power of the gospel. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, set apart, beautiful, spotless already, without blemish and free from accusation. No accuser, guys. Uh, the only accusers is Hasetan or Satan, and uh, he's gone. He's, he's under your feet. He has no more power. And so you need to realize that, that, just like the woman caught in the act of adultery, all that's left is the tree of life, guys, and he will never accuse you. He'll never judge you. So what does this all mean? You know, really, uh, the lie of separation produces fear. That's what one John talks about. If we still have fear in this concept of torture, um, we're not perfected in love. And so... Religion creates this way back because we believe that we've been separated from Christ. We need to repent, confess, uh, you know, deny earthly things because earthly things are obviously evil and bad where God says, no, I'm in and through every earthly thing. So somehow they're going to fast and not eat or not drink and um, observe days. And Colossians even says that. He goes, guys, those are types and shadows. Get rid of all that stuff. The reality is Jesus Christ. He goes, I want you to have life. I want you to experience these earthly pleasures um, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, even on earth here. And ultimately, that's what it's going to be. Uh, my kingdom is going to feel all of it. So uh, religion is just this way for you to pay for what Jesus freely paid for and to condemn you somehow and make you still feel separated that you could never be enough, never have enough faith, never do enough, never read enough. All that's uh, nonsense, guys. And so if you believe that you're separate and somehow you need to be good enough to get back, Galatians tells us you're going to produce works of the flesh which is anger, murder, strife, all the things we don't want. But the truth is, you've always been included in Christ. You're perfect, you're perfectly blessed, you're perfectly holy, you're perfectly righteous, complete in Him. Nothing lacking, perfectly loved, perfectly favored. You can start to experience life now. And so, I just wrote, when you realize that you're perfectly loved, He's never kept any record of wrong, you're radically forgiven, and in union with the perfect love of the Trinity, that rivers of living water starts to flow out of you, which is really what you want, out of your heart, not out of the external by observing rules and regulations and not eating this or drinking this and, and uh, anything like that. And so that's why I love our house fellowships, guys. And a lot of you guys are at a distance, etc. But uh, 
I love it when people are here and we have food and a glass of wine and we celebrate life and we have fellowship with each other and we pray for each other or whatever needs to be done. But really he's designed to, it doesn't have to be overly spiritual. It's, it has to be relational, which is everything to him. In fact, that's what he, that's, that's who he, he is. And so just know this guys is, um, uh, you, you really are unconditionally loved. You're radically forgiven. Um, and then the last part of that is, is if that's all true, the last half of the gospel, in my opinion, even if people's theology is right, where they go, okay, that's great. Um, and Barb and I were talking about this a lot, as I see a lot of these guys who are in their head arguing about Christianity, and the Bible says this and this, and what about this scripture, this scripture? You know what? They can't experience all the blessings because they're focused on trying to be right or wrong, etc. And we're all right in Christ. Everything's right about us in Jesus Christ. And so, you know what? Every promise becomes yes and amen. And so you can start to expect to be radically healed, for instance. He doesn't withhold healing. You know what? What if you don't have enough faith to be healed? He remains faithful. That's where the true faith comes, where we can trust him going, you know what? I know that if you freely gave your own son when I was still dead in sin, of course you would heal my body and I can just trust you. That's what true trust is and true faith is. And does it waver? No problem. But we can, we can go right back to that and go, but he doesn't waver because Jesus healed everybody he ever came in contact with that wanted healing from him versus based on their good works. You know, can we be radically blessed? Yes, I want you to start waking up in the morning and going, you know what? I'm in him. And if God's for me, nothing's against me. I, things can start to look up. The blessings can start to flow in my life, my business. And, uh, uh, and just have that air of expectancy that this big God who radically loves you is on your side. And you know what? He's got a marriage covenant with you that everything he has is yours. And your sin, your, your, your wrong deeds, your, your falling short can never separate you from that and never has separated you from that. He's in and through and withholds all things. And you know what? He's happy with you. He loves you perfectly, wants to heal you, wants to bless you, wants to expand your life. And you know what? If, if you're not seeing that right now, we all go through, through you know, valleys or whatever you want to call it. That's where the hope comes in, that so we can have a confident expectation of good because we know that all things work together for good. And this isn't our end, wherever you're at. If it's in your body that you need healing, your relationships, you know, uh, some of you guys know my, my wife uh, and I were separated years ago, early on in our marriage. And I can't imagine a better marriage. She's, and I mean that. It's, like, so we can share that openly with people because I, I think you would say, too, we felt hopeless at the time. There's no, this isn't even worth it. And uh, we would certainly would never judge anybody if they, if they got divorced or separated because that's where we were. It was just this, somehow God worked it out where we're more in love now than, than ever. At least I am. I think you are. Yeah, she's laughing at me. And so, yeah. And so uh, uh, now she's smooching at me, giving me smooches. <laughs> And so uh, anyway, it's just, it's, hey, you know what? You can have radical hope and hope never fails. It's a beautiful thing. Love never fails. It's all going to turn out okay, guys. He's your Alpha and Omega and uh, the best is yet to come. So hope that helps, guys. God bless.